the book of Revelation continues to summarize all of the written scriptures. And there is a, a finality, a drawing together, like you would draw together uh, a purse or you draw together a net. So all of scripture is drawn together in the book of Revelation. And we continue to look at the great themes throughout the scriptures through the end, ending notes uh, upon which the book of Revelation concludes. And so the Lord says, for the really the third time in just a very brief sequence, he says, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. In verse 6 he says, uh, the words are faithful and true. Um, he's, 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 he's sent his angel to show his servants the things that must shortly take place. Um, secondly, he said, uh, uh, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, verse 10, for the time is at hand. And now verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now it's very important, I've heard many people say, well you see, in both the beginning of the book of Revelation and the end of the book of Revelation, um, scriptures say I'm, what is happening is going to happen quickly. Let me point out that at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, the letters and the correspondence are to the seven churches of Asia and he does say, these things must shortly come to pass. And indeed they were. They did come to pass very shortly. After the third chapter and beginning in the fourth chapter, he's suddenly in a different dimension. Suddenly uh, a door was op standing open to me into heaven and I heard, a vo I heard a voice saying, come up here and sit with me and I will show you what is to come. So the suddenly uh, or the shortly to come to pass is bifurcated into two separate set of instructions. The first concerned things that were imminently to occur upon the earth in the lives and in the beings of the seven churches of Asia. After that, however, and those all, all of those things were spoken while John was still on the earth. So John was in the timing 
of the earth in that first portion. It's a serious error and miscalculation to suggest that the time frame that followed that is the same as what was spoken prior to John being taken up into heaven. There he is in the timing of God, meaning where it is as readily apparent that a day is not a day, or a day may not be a day, a day may be as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And to that end, all of what was prophesied to the seven churches of Asia happened. And all of what is yet uh, to happen that has been described as things that must shortly come to pass, revealed to John from the position, from his position of being in the heavens. Suddenly a door opened to me into heaven. Those things have by and large not occurred yet. So we're yet the term suddenly or soon to come to pass or must shortly come to pass. All those things, uh, it's accurate to say that they would shortly come to pass because John's position changed from a messenger speaking to, uh, bringing a message and giving a message to the seven angels of the seven churches of Asia. All of those came to pass. Uh, One of the opportunities I've had in my lifetime is to tour the seven cities of the book of Revelation. They're all in Turkey. They're all in in Asia Minor. And um, many of those cities even, uh, certainly the ancient cities, are in ruins. In every case we were able to see ruins from that time. And in most instances, those locations being in Turkey, in most instances, the, the light did go out for those churches. It's been very much an Islamic country since um, early on, since what, the 8th century? Uh, at least since, I'm sorry, at least since the time of the Ottoman Empire, uh, the Islamic religion has replaced where the saints once lived and flourished. So those things did come to pass in that time. But my point is, a different time is ordained when you are out of the body, when you are taken up when you are in the realm of eternity, or at least in the realm of heaven, and there the time that governs is the timing of the Lord. So you don't go then so much by the calculation of days and months and so on. You go then by the the signs of the times, by the events that portend these very serious these extremely, to the extreme, serious events that are to occur. 
So when he says, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his works. The fact that the Lord has not come back yet does nothing to make that statement, I am coming quickly, in error. It's just simply two different timings. One is a natural timing, the other is an eternal or spiritual timing and we know that from the respective locations of the writer. When he's writing to the seven churches, he's on the earth, he's on the island of Patmos. When he is writing, when he is doing all the rest of the revelation of Jesus Christ, up until now, he's in heaven. Although from the vantage point of heaven, he has the the panoramic view of heaven and earth and the future. So he's prophesying of things that not only have, did not come to pass, but he, that only have not yet come to pass. But he's prophesying about people who are not, who are not yet even born. Because if the great white throne of judgment before which all the nations are assembled is part of his writing, which it is in chapter 20. What we know is that from his position in the eternal, from his position in heaven, where his timing is is inclusive of future events, the great white throne judgment has not yet occurred. So he saw people who were not yet born assembled for their judgment before this great white throne. That simply means that John in that position was was invited to observe the future and since that time, 2,000 years ago, the things that were written as, Behold, I am coming quickly, have advanced to that level of urgency. So my point is that you should not view the timing of the latter part of the book of Revelation as the same as the first. The first was occurring on earth and therefore subject to human timing. The latter included the future, which in a subset included people who are not yet born. 2,000 years before they were born, John was seeing them before the throne of God. So that perspective involves the long arc of history and for our purposes, 2,000 years. But the timing is ordained by events, not simply by the passing of time. So quickly, we're still able to see when 
when that which is described as quickly is really upon us. Fools will say, well, it's been said for 2,000 years, so maybe it's not real. Well, that's why they're fools. Because God is ageless and timeless. He is, when He says things like, forever and ever, that refers to, it uses the word eon, A-I-O-N, and in the configuration of forever and ever, it literally means endless ages, age upon age or endless ages. In consideration of that, what exactly is, behold, I'm coming quickly. So, do not be foolish in your understanding of biblical timing. You, you do well to know the location of the writer. Is he in time or is he out of time? And what is, what is the writer writing about? That's the key and the clue to what the timing looks like. Timing in the heavens is ordained by the occurring of events. Timing on the earth is more related to the chronology of days, months, and even years. So behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. And don't forget the justice of God. People tend to think that the mercy of God is the basis of His rewarding. No, it's His justice. His mercy is His compassion to encourage and to exhort and to plead with. His grace is the power to accomplish. We often conflate grace and mercy, but they're very distinct things. Grace is the power to accomplish the thing. And there's, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. There is a limitless capacity for God to accomplish what He wants. His mercy restrains Him and restrains especially His judgments and is synonymous with His loving-kindness which are endemic to His nature. But His justice, His justice is something else. And His justice is tied up with the reward, with the matter of reward. Now, His rewards are spectacular and cannot be said to be um, cannot be said to be lacking in superlative generosity. So whatever he gives us by way of reward is exceedingly abundantly more than we could even think or ask. In that capacity, the reward of anyone who is deemed righteous 
is greater than we have any right to expect. And it remains true that we're not saved by our works, nor are we rewarded in a quid pro quo fashion. The reward is superlative. The reward is far exceeds and outstrips anything we might reasonably associate with, with outcomes. And, and by the way, I mean, what reward greater than to be accorded the, son, the status of sons of God? What reward may be thought of as having greater value than that? So everybody whom he receives as a son has a baseline of reward that testifies to the stunning generosity of the love of God. But there are rewards in regards to rank, rewards to rank and to rule. Such things are more than just hinted at, that we're told, you know. For example, we're told that his servants the Lamb's servants will serve Him and part of their reward, they shall see His face, His name shall be on their foreheads, they will carry His presence as readily as they'll be in His presence. Again, all these things are the baseline of rewards for what we have when we are received as the sons of God. Um, We talk about people going to their eternal reward and we conflate that with going to heaven. Heaven is not the place where our rewards are distributed. Heaven is not the place where rewards are distributed. Everyone goes to heaven who has received Christ. Rewards are different. Rewards come when He comes. When He comes, His reward is with Him. And that reward is to give to everyone according to His work. Now, that still means you're saved by grace and not by works. Because He translates you from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the Son and you go to heaven when you die, if you die before His return, and you go to heaven when you die, if you die before His return, And none of that has to do with your works. You didn't earn that. Your works, however, have to do with your obedience to what He foreordained you for. It's imperative that we make that distinction. A person who 
quote-unquote receives Christ but mostly just decides that they're going to still keep living in the pursuit of their own goals. Here we are not talking mainly about sinful living and the rest of it, we're talking mostly about submitting to that for which God foreknew you because your only usefulness to God in this earth is for Him to live and to dwell within you and you must submit to that voluntarily. If you either do not submit to that or you submit to it when you feel like it, whether by ignorance or simply rebellion, disobedience, you'll still go to heaven when you die because heaven is not the final outcome, heaven is not the final place. He'll bring you back out of heaven and for the thousand years that you will be on earth with Him before these final events of the book of Revelation, you will be given the chance to obey and that will occur under the rule of a rod of iron. If however, after you are saved, after He gives you the down payment of the Holy Spirit, He then begins to mature you through the adversity of suffering and trials and you persist in being trained and made ready, then increasingly He will continue to appear in you and through you. These are the works of God reserved specifically for you, for which you were made. You were saved and you are being disciplined and trained to take on the good works which God prepared in advance for you to walk in. The reason that the reward comes with the Lord, He brings His reward with Him is obviously, obviously, it's patently obvious that this occurs at the beginning of the millennium, not at the end where chapters 21 and 22 take us. So he's speaking about rank and order and positions of power and representation that He distributes to those who submitted to the rule of the rod of iron and were configured in His image and likeness, He now deploys them to rule and reign to produce the result for which the millennium actually was established, that result being the final salvation of the soul through rigorous obedience to obedience. So not only will Christ rule and reign but those who have been configured, reconfigured, 
shall I say, to the rule of a rod of iron, meaning the inflexible standard that is representational of the model of Christ Himself, the pattern Son. Those who have been configured to that in this life will not need to go back through that in the millennium. So, they will be the agencies and the instruments of His rule to bring the errant sons into conformity in the millennium. And that is an order of rule that implies and that employs rank. Such matters are spoken to in parables that say things such as, the servant who was faithful with what belonged to his master will be given various varying numbers of cities to rule. Just like the ones who were faithful with the, with the way they handled the Lord's affairs, described by talents, will be given a multiple of what they received. And I might mention that the person who received and was indolent, slothful with what he received, was in the millennium, was assigned a portion with the unbeliever because he was not finished. He did not complete that which was given to him. So, in the statement, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me, you ought to hear not when you die and go to heaven, you'll have varying rewards in heaven. There's no reference to anybody having a reward in heaven greater than anyone else. It's when He comes, which is His return from heaven. When He returns from heaven, that is the time when the millennium begins. The purpose of which again is among other things, the disciplining of the disobedient servants. And the use of these faithful servants who rule and reign with the Lord inasmuch as they are the rod of iron personified because they've been configured to the rod of iron. So His reward is the distribution of rank and the assignments of rule primarily and that comes at the beginning of the millennium. So as I said, He brings us to the very end where God is all in all and then He begins to backtrack and show us things that, for example, begin with what the events look like as He's coming, the cutoff point where the wicked is still wicked, the righteous is still righteous and where as He comes, uh, His reward is with Him and He distributes rewards according to the faithfulness 
with which we handled his business here in this earth, which of course is preceded by how well we allowed ourselves to be configured to his standard, which is the rod of iron, by voluntarily obeying the Holy Spirit in all of his entreaties. So we should be paying attention to what the Spirit is saying to the church. In the end, when this remnant is available, the Spirit will know it and the remnant will know it and they together will agree that it is the timing of the Lord's return. So shortly, one of the key elements of shortly, viewed from an internal point of view and viewed therefore from the point of view of events occurring, is when the bride is consciously aware that the end truly has come because a righteous people have emerged from among the wicked and a wicked people have separated themselves from the righteous. And the Spirit will confirm this to the corporate man and Christ will come. I will talk about that in the final piece of this message. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you then. Bye for now.